Sports Etc. is New England's hockey leader and original goalie superstore. We understand that anyone can sell hockey equipment, but not everyone can truly fit hockey equipment. If you've been here, you know we simply do not take shortcuts or sacrifice fit to make a sale. There are a lot of places to get hockey equipment online, so you have a choice. You can buy from a hockey website, or you can buy from a professional hockey shop with real employees that fit gear every day. There is a difference, and the difference is service and expertise. Located at 1303 Mass Ave in Arlington, experience the difference at Sports Etc. Welcome back to the My Hockey Live podcast. My name is Brandon Hall. I am joined today by Brendan Connolly. Brendan, of course, of the Boston Herald, WATD, and here, My Hockey Live. You can catch Brendan on Twitter at Beacon63. Beacon, welcome aboard. It's good to be back. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to talk about some hockey. You know, as we talked a little bit in the pre-interview, I haven't been able to get out to too many rinks this year uh based on coverage and you know covid protocols and everything else but uh you've been a busy man covering the ponds this winter uh what have you seen so far that you liked well there's been some unique aspects of the new protocols that go into each rink uh some of them are kind of a little strange um you know just trying to move students from the bench to uh, uh to the bleachers during intermission so they can undress and take care of things in certain ones. Others, they move them into a different section. Lots of things to look for there. Uh, some leagues, I know the Bay State Conference, the Catholic Conference, I think the Merrimack Valley Conference all instituted two halves for games now instead of uh, three periods just to try and make things easier on staff around the rinks, cleaning stuff up, making sure everything's ready for the next game. Uh, that helps with deadlines. I'll give them that. It's just <laughs> weird. It's a weird time we live in, as we all know. Yeah, so the, the Catholic Conference doing the two halves, a 22-and-a-half-minute halves. Uh, you saw BC High versus Zavarian last week. What would you think of that matchup? Well, after seeing BC High play Catholic Memorial the week before, this was a Catholic Memorial team that brought in pretty much their whole roster with the exception of uh, two graduates or three, I think, something like that. They lost Matt Casper, who was one of their heroes from their last playoff run, but most of the same roster was there. BC High brought in a lot of younger kids, uh, freshmen, sophomores, all starting to play varsity there for the first time. And they went out and they won 7-1 with seemingly everyone contributing. That's when I really kind of opened my eyes for a second. I'm like, this BC High team might be something to watch, as they usually are every year. But this was a next level. Go be- A few days later, I went to the Cat Nice house, and my hockey live was there. Jake Levin was on the call with, uh, with I think, Paul McNamara. It was a... Uh, very highly anticipated matchup, and for the first 10 minutes or so of this game, seemed like it was going to live up to its billing as the two teams just traded one goal after the next. It was 2-2 back and forth, and then BCI just went into another gear and pulled away uh, for a 5-2 win. So just looking at this Catholic Conference slate, which just started this year, all I could say is watch out for the Eagles. This might be a historic run possibly for them. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that there isn't a state tournament for, for them to to go into because they're getting some unbelievable contributions. I mean, uh, you know, one name that stands out for me is sophomore Ryan Flaherty, uh, of course, the son of John Flaherty. But early on this season, seven points already uh, in just a couple of games. Yeah, Flash Jr., as I'm starting to call him. Uh, <laughs> he's certainly been a standout for them. Um, uh, talking with Flaherty, the coach, afterward, 
seem like he's obviously trying to do what most dads would do in that situation and try to say like, oh, he's had his some great opportunities, made great plays, but he's also helping set up kids around him. And kids out there are making plays left and right for us. Um, we're just hoping that it continues. And I, I, obviously it's a kind of a tough position to be in, but we see a lot of coaches doing it now. Like look over at the Bay State Conference, for instance. Uh, Dave Fasano, his son, Nick Fasano, is going out there scoring hat-tricks in his first game. It's it's a situation we're seeing pretty common this year. Um, I think Flaherty in that system is only going to flash even more. I think he's a player that we can uh, definitely keep our eyes on going forward for the next three years. Yeah, I mean, Arlington had had a perfect example, right? Um, you know, dad and son combo there, Missouri. you know, uh, with the Missouris. And then, you know, you can look at down at Marshfield years past. Uh, Aiden Connolly had had two really terrific years there before transferring out. So it's, you know, it's not unheard of. It's nice to see that when the coach's son comes onto the roster, they're a contributor. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's it's very easy to put aside any kind of, uh, you know, like uh, uh, um, he's only there because dot 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 these kids belong uh ryan flaherty seven points in two games that's really something it's just the plays that he's making too uh during late in that game it was still in doubt whether bc high could hold on to things uh Zavarian being a very explosive offensive team um they were only down a goal or two and they say uh the hardest lead to defend in hockey is a two-goal advantage uh flaherty just outside of the play, he's reading it as it shakes down. Uh, he sees a teammate take a shot on net. It skips off a defenseman, and he's in the right spot to collect it. Backhands the shot into the net in one swing. And those are the type of things that are very difficult for even some of the older athletes on rosters to pull off at times. This kid looks like he's really adjusted very quickly to the game, and I think you know he's going to be a problem for some of these teams like Malden Catholics, the St. John's preps of the world coming up on their slate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, looking at some of those top schools that, you know, we're used to saying are, you know, these guys are in the super eight conversation with no super eight this year. Uh, who are some of the top teams that you've seen uh, or, or that you've covered so far? Well, based on the restrictions at certain rinks, uh, some rinks aren't even allowing any media and especially broadcast media. So I've been sticking to, Strictly pretty much the Patriot League and the Catholic Conference so far, which have been very open to us. Um, seen Duxbury play a few times. They lost a tough one in that opening round to Hanover. And I think Hanover is probably, speaking of which, the team to look for in the Patriot League. They've come flying out of the gate. They kind of made a statement opening night. I asked their coach, Johnny Abbott, what's the mindset seeing these other teams that usually play an independent league schedule like Hanover or Hanover, like Hingham? like Marshfield and like Duxbury all coming into your league. And he's like, takes a deep breath. He goes, we'll see. Cause he was one of the coaches that is like, we've been dominating the Patriot league for a year. And now we got to introduce all these juggernauts into the division. Uh, but they made their stance opening night and they made it with authority defeating Duxbury, I think five, two. Um, and right now they're four, four, no in the league, pretty much atop the whole Patriot league. Uh, Pembroke is in second at three and three. So, I think Hanover is definitely one of the better teams I've witnessed to this point. Um, as for gr the girls' side of things, uh, I think Duxbury and Ayla Abbott, I'm wondering if there's a family connection there. Maybe there is. But she's been lighting it up, scoring one hat-trick after another for them. That's who I'd look for in those leagues. Those are the teams I've covered from the Patriot League. And then, obviously, we've covered BCI. Um, 
that is the team in the Catholic Conference right now. Yeah, and on the girls' game, on the girls' side of things, the uh, that Duxbury girls' team is consistently year in and year out at the top. Uh, what is it that makes that town so good at this sport? I've asked myself, what about the town of Duxbury makes every single one of their teams so good seemingly every three to four years there's a new team up at the top of the league there um i, I don't know to be honest duxbury all the turnover uh ricefelder left and dan nigerian just stepped into the place of him and they just continued to dominate um and they continue to find these young athletes i, I think abbott's only a sophomore she's already one of the highest scoring athletes in the state right now so i don't know if it's luck i don't know if it's just the buildup through youth leagues there Somehow they do it, and it's a great system. Yeah, that girls' program has been good for years, and they just kind of they just kind of fill holes, right? They don't have to ever do a full rebuild uh, in in a very similar way to the boys' uh, program. Now, you you talked about Hingham coming in and playing in the Patriot League. Uh, I do want to point out um, they have uh, they have yet to to take a defeat in the Patriot League, um, but their former uh, independent cohort there or, or counterpart, I should say. Marshfield, a 2-2 tie against Hanover just the other night. A pretty impressive performance. Uh, yeah, it was. But that is a, also another organization that has not had a real a real turnover, any real turnover, to be brutally honest. I feel like their coaching staff has been in place for a long time. Dan Connolly always is able to you know, bring out the best in all of his athletes. So I think Marshfield has a little bit more of a... Uh, a stronghold when it comes to just con- uh, continuing their culture without bringing in, you know, all these new athletes and, you know, seeing if they shape the way things go. That doesn't work with that system. It's the coaching staff that really changes things around there and they mold their players into who they want them to be. Right. So I think Marshfield, it, it, even in the Patriot league, um, I think they're still going to be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And they're on the larger side in the Keenan division and, uh, their challenge right now will be uh, what what they can do against Hingham, um, having to play them twice. Now, Hingham, uh, a 6-1 win over Whitman Hansen uh, just a day ago. Six different scorers for the Harbormen. Uh, the, Hingham just kind of cruising right now. Yeah, and Hingham, I think they uh, had a couple of guys score their first goals yesterday uh, or two days ago, whenever it was. Uh, Drew Carlton um, was out there. He made some big plays. Chase McKenna made a few big plays. Um so Hingham under Tony Messina, that is, it just seems like there's, it just seems like they always find a way to do it. I think Tony Messina has the perfect coaching model over there. Um, still have yet to cover a Hingham game personally, but I'm sure as soon as I get there, I'll see the same couple of goals every game. They'll win probably five to two, like they usually do on average. And I think Hingham, this is if there is no Super Eight tournament. I think Hingham's ultimate goal is just going to end up being just continue to dominate. Add another banner, this time as a Patriot League champion. Um, and if they continue playing like they are, I definitely see that in the near future. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. They're like uh, Notre Dame football in, in some ways, right? They've uh, not no Patriot League hockey championships uh, in the same way that Notre Dame's never had any uh, conference championships in football. Uh, but that sure could change early on this year. Uh, it's sticking in the South Shore, interesting. We see uh, Plymouth South hires... Uh, Cam McPhee, the state championship goaltender, to be their goaltending coach this season. Great ad by the Plymouth South Panthers. Yeah, I think you have some inside knowledge on that <laughs> end of things because I uh, I hadn't heard that. But, you know, it, if 
they if Plymouth South wants to get back to being that contender that they were in 2018 when they won the whole thing on Alex Hayward's amazing overtime goal, um, it's going to take some tinkering. They've that is a that is a program that has gone on a complete rebuild here. Mike McCosh is no longer there. Um, some of the coaches that were there are still there, notably as I mentioned, uh, your brother <laughs> yeah. uh, Jay's still there. But um, there, there's a lot of things that have to start working in their favor. They have to get some more experienced athletes and it's going to take a little longer for them to get seasoned, but that's a good start. Um, start at the goaltender position. And if you can develop a hot goalie, that's a, that's a way to contend for years in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, just kind of looking at, at, at what they've done historically, uh, they've, they've been a competitor in year in and year out. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I look. I think that they're going to make a quick turnaround. I don't think this is going to be very long for them. And this is, of course, with the COVID season being what it is. You know, the you're playing a limited number of games. You just hope to get some of those younger players some experience and and move forward. Yes, um, and if there is a year to do it, it's this one. You don't have to worry about sitting on the outside of a playoff tournament looking in. You'll be able to participate in a league tournament at some point. So there will still be some aspect of a playoff environment once you get there. Um, but it, it's also such a shortened schedule where even if it looks like right now, I think Plymouth South is 0-5, um, it does it won't look that bad at the end of the year. Uh, you don't have to get down on yourself. It's going to be a, uh, it, as you mentioned, I'm hoping that's a quick turnaround because I want to see all these South Shore teams compete and make a state tournament at some point in the next two years. Hopefully when everything returns to normal, we can all just crowd back into the MIAA office and see all those teams squeak into the field at some point um, and be able to tweet it out and see their communities be happy about it. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, the, it's, it's interesting to think about that this way, right? We, of all the things that have kind of changed because of COVID, one of the really cool things that we've seen at least develop in the last year is the idea of the overtime in high school hockey. Uh, you know, I grew up in, and I played in high school, high school hockey in Rhode Island, and we had the overtime period there to decide winners. We didn't have any ties there. Uh, adding the overtime in high school hockey in Massachusetts has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and number one example is Nathan Cohen's OT winner with five seconds left for Newton South High School uh, just this week. Oh, yeah. You know, it, overtime is always exciting. It makes the game so much more fun to watch. Just every play can be the eventual one that changes the whole game. Um, I know some leagues aren't doing it. I saw one team, I think it was uh, on Twitter last night. Um, I can't remember which school it was, but it was a North Shore team. They finished regulation tied, and they didn't go to an overtime session. I was like, huh, that's interesting. But yeah. luckily, in our neck of the woods, down in the Patriot League, the South Shore Leagues, the Catholic Conferences, all these schools are playing overtime games, which is what I love to see. And then... I think the most dramatic example of it came on Monday when uh, Marshfield and Duxbury had their annual Green Cup. They played an overtime session. Nobody could score. They went to a shootout. It was a dramatic back-and-forth affair, and Marshfield comes out on top and wins the Green Cup. It was great. Yeah. Uh, definitely what all the fans want to see. Definitely what media wants to see. Right. And I think it's what the players and the coaches want. They're, they love these moments. Yeah, and it's and there's nothing better than walking back into your school the day after you score an overtime winner, you know, or you, you, you get the deciding goal in a shootout. There's nothing better than that. And that's what the high school sports is all about. That's the reason why we cover it, why we coach it, why we play it, right? Um, just really cool. And, and looking at that, 
Newton South uh, game against Concord Carlisle. Uh, Newton South at one point was up three to one in that game, uh, and and the game tying goal scored by Concord Carlisle toward, right towards the end of regulation. Um, but with five seconds left, five ticks on the clock, Paul Mack had the call on that one, and a, and a great one at that uh, on that overtime game winner. We really love to see it. Just great stuff. Oh, definitely great stuff. It, it, I don't think I was it, being a guy who was not a hockey player. Scary enough. Uh, who covers hockey for a living, strangely. Um, I never had that experience. That is definitely an experience I'd want to have. The closest I think I could ever say I came to having a moment like that in high school was when I hit like a game-winning hit, but it wasn't, it was an extra innings against Hingham. Um, my freshman year, I lined one right through the hole with the bases loaded to uh, give us a win, but it was at Hingham, so it wasn't even a walk-off. So it wasn't really the same. Yeah, it, yeah You yeah. get to see these athletes when they make a play like that, especially during a hockey game when and fans can't watch it. They have to watch it through streams like ours. Uh, the next day they go into school. They're a hero. Right. Like everyone like, wants to talk to the kid, and it's a, just a great sight. It's a great sight, and I'm sure you might have seen it as a teacher yourself. Yeah, you know, I, I've mentioned it here on the podcast before. My favorite probably coaching memory is a, a game-winning goal scored with about a one-and-a-half seconds left. Um, Silver Lake over Blue Hills in the first round of the state tournament. Uh, up at what was the Metropolis Arena in Canton, uh, which now is just a hole in the ground, unfortunately, because of a roof collapse. Uh, but that, mm. that was a great one. And uh, I had my own game winner once in high school in overtime. I scored a... Look at you. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, uh, fourth, I think it was a four to three. I had the, I had the fourth goal in overtime. Um, uh, nobody needs to hear about it. It was 25 years ago. So... <laughs> <laughs> Don't date yourself. Yeah, I know, right? Seriously. Maybe it was like 23, but, you know, either way. Uh, so, uh, moving forward, you know, there's some talk at the state level about changing the format of the super eight or abandoning the super eight altogether, uh, due to the fact that the super eight was originally constructed because the Catholic teams had sort of established this dominance over the public schools and, and that dominance, the the Catholic schools have kind of come back to earth with the exception of say a BC high and a Pope Francis, everybody else has really come back to earth. And, and that's due to a variety of things, right? Junior programs and kids leaving to go to prep schools and yada, yada, yada. You, you know, in the, yeah, exactly. in, in the end, in the end, is the Super 8 good for high school hockey in Massachusetts? I think the Super 8 is the best thing for high school hockey in Massachusetts. You see more and more public schools starting to sneak into it. Um, and then even if, you know, even if they, they don't, they get to play in the D1 tournament and still raise a Division One banner um, if they get out on the other side. By having the Super 8, it puts those Catholic schools in a certain segment where if they're good, they'll just keep going towards that Super 8 title. If not, they'll fall into the Division One field, and then they hope they can rebound. Um, I've seen a lot more public schools succeeding at those two levels over the last few years. I think Arlington, one of the best examples, over the last couple under John Missouri. Uh, they just have been proving that they can hang with just about anyone. And I think by having the Super 8, it creates more buzz for the sport. It, there's nothing more exciting for athletes at those schools than trying to get into that field. You see how much time and effort goes into putting it together at, uh, the, at Forge Parkway in Franklin every year. You see 15 to 20 coaches trying to come up with this and then you, everyone's on pins and needles just waiting for the next tweet to come out over Twitter, and then it blows up. Uh, it doesn't do that with the other divisions. I think having the Super 8 and keeping the same formats, maybe adding 
two more teams to its uh, format, make it like a 12-team field, that might be the best course of action. I think expanding would be better. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there. I love I love that they went from 8 to 10, that there was a play-in game for you know spots 6 through 10. Uh, it, it, it really has improved, I think, in the last couple of years where they've moved away from the bigger venues and moved to the smaller venues. So you're, you know, instead of playing in front of an empty Songus Arena, which don't get me wrong, Songus Arena is a wonderful venue for these games. It's really something to have that game at Stoneham, right? And have, oh, and have yeah. Stoneham, you know, like the parking's tough at Stoneham. I get that. They don't have an unlimited yes. number of tickets for sale. I get that. But to walk into a building that is completely banged out um, and, and to play in front of a crowd like that uh, or, to, you know, to have a game at Warrior and have the game banged out, right? Like, you got, <laughs> you got 1,500 people in the seats and, it's, and the place is full as opposed to you've got 1,500 people in the seats and, you know, you can hear a mouse fart, right? Um, I, I really liked the way the tournament was going, but, you know, pre-pandemic. Of course. I mean, I don't think we're going to see any banged out arenas for any time soon. But yeah, yeah. as you mentioned, like Stoneham Arena brought up his name earlier, Matt Casper for CM last year. A guy from Southie comes in, scores the game winning goal with like 34 seconds left to send CM to the next round of the Super 8. And the place exploded. Thought the place was going to fall at one point. It was just so loud. And then you go two weeks later to Songus and it's it's quiet. It's just you sit up with the media guys and, you know, just talk a, a bit about things going on in life. And then you look down and the game's on goal. Oh, look up, no crowd reaction whatsoever. You look up at the scoreboard, see the replay. It might've been one of the greatest plays you've seen, but it's quiet. Um, I do like the small venues as well. And uh, I think it's going to be difficult though, to, especially with the new protocols to ever see that in the near future. However, yeah, right. Of course, you know, and you know, look just no further than some highlights on the My Hockey Live Twitter account uh, of games at Lowell. Um, you've got say like Lowell High School against uh, against Haverhill, and it's a four-one Lowell win. Um, and you know, they've got the cutouts on the, uh, up up in the in the ble- in the bleachers, I should say. They've got the cutouts mm-hmm. of I don't know people's dogs and you know other you know fans, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And it's cute and everything, but like in a regular game there. It just it doesn't have that juice that the smaller buildings do, and I think that's why people love Gallo so much, right? Like you get Gallo is big, but it's in a way though it's not. There's not a ton of seating, Um, so you fill those bleachers, and it turns into an electrifying atmosphere. I uh, definitely that is definitely one of my favorite rinks to cover it from because you don't have to fight the uh, fans for for uh, placement over there, and you just go walk right to the media room. You get a nice deck overlooking the whole rink and then you get the greatest shots especially playoff time just of the fans going wild every time somebody puts one in the net uh, it's i'm just missing those memories right now it's making me emotional <laughs> and uh you know just to kind of wrap things up here um i, I do want to talk about the bruins a little bit now this might be a kind of an ambush on you i apologize because we didn't talk about this in the pre-interview but um the Bruins right now, as it stands, have played nine periods of hockey, of regulation hockey, have yet to score a five-on-five five goal. Nine <laughs> periods. Nine periods. Insane. No five-on-five five goals. This is a problem. It is a problem. And, you know, I, I I cover the team occasionally whenever something really big breaks. Like, if there's newsworthy stuff out there, there hasn't been any newsworthy stuff because they can't score. It's been, a, uh, it's been an interesting season to this point. And everyone said, including me, that their biggest weakness would be on the power play. 
with the lo- or the penalty kill, I should say, with the loss of Zidane Char, they've looked great on the penalty kill. Right. I, I don't know what it is. It's their offensive players who have usually contributed over the last few years, like Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, and David Pasternak, who is obviously a big hole. I think that's one of the big reasons. Yeah. yeah. Missing David Pasternak is probably a big reason they can't score, but I didn't think it would be this big of a problem where no one could score. It's interesting. Yeah, and I, it's I, definitely interesting. Yeah, the hole in the first line without Pasternak is a big one, right? Because now you're trying to figure out who's going to play in that spot. And is it DeBrusque? Is it Kasha, who's now hurt? Uh, is it, you know, Anders Bjork? Is it you pick a guy, right? Uh, Stadnika's had an opportunity to play there. So you look at at that big hole right there, and every time you try and fill that hole, you're taking away from the other lines. It just goes to show how little depth they have for scoring. On the other hand. Uh, in an area where Jake and I talked about in the first episode this season of this podcast was what does their defensive depth look like? We had major concerns about that. And and these guys are putting up putting up zeros back there. Uh, Zaboral and Lawson and some guys that really hadn't had much time to play in the NHL are, are really handling the game pretty well. The people that were uh, uh, just railing on the Bruins for re-signing Kevin Miller guy looks like an animal out there all of a sudden he actually looks like a contributor um he's been doing very well charlie mcavoy apparently took the the mindset that being the lead defenseman on a team that means you have to be very violent which i love (laughs) he's just lighting guys up left and right their defenses look pretty good they look pretty good overall in my opinion yeah and i also understand that charlie mcavoy has more penalty minutes than um the bruins have goals (laughs) scored so uh, that is definitely a concern. And Kevin Miller has brought the toughness, too, which is important because they don't really have a tough guy back there. Of concern right now, though, is uh, um, Matt Grizzlick's injury. Uh, you know, there's some some concern there. He is, you know, kind of the quarterback on the power play. So uh, remains to be seen. Hey, no questions at all about uh, Tuka Rask, though. Oh, that's, uh, there's always going to be questions about Tuka Rask from the media end of things. But he hasn't given the fans any reasons to ask him questions this right. year. He's been the only reason that they haven't done as well. It's not been because of him. He's he's been stopping every play, and we saw the overtime goal just a couple of days ago against New Jersey. Hey, how, nobody could stop that. You could put Patrick Rawat in that for that, and he wouldn't be able to stop that play. Yeah, and that was so, a, that was a Yaro Halak, I think, on the on the breakaway. Was it Halak? I think That's it was. I think it was Halak on the breakaway. But yesterday, I mean, he he held he held strong against the Islanders yesterday for you know. 58 minutes, uh, 0-0 hockey for like 58 minutes. And, you know, they, and, and Pajot scores to, uh, to make it a one nothing victory for the Islanders. But you can't win, you know, you can't win 0-0. Zero zero. Um, so, you can't win if you don't score. Right, exactly. Um, Brennan, anything you're working on right now? Uh, we're currently trying to work on some scheduling some games. It's looking like for Wednesday night we might have a, a Norwell versus Rockland boys hockey game coming up on ATD, which – You'll be able to stream on our website. And for every My Hockey Live game that we do in conjunction with WATD, we're going to be doing putting their calls on our airwaves as well. So just it's all about trying to find the right games and being able to do it and hope that there's no restrictions or new sudden outbreaks that happen, which really throw a curveball into everything that we do and uh, as you know, on the My Hockey Live, and it's the same exact way. It's a new t- normal for all of us, new times, and we just got to adjust to them. We're just trying to bring the best coverage possible. 
Yeah, and it, it's every day is a new adventure here, right? We don't know if uh, by the end of the day we're going to have a game on for you or not. Just you know, keep an eye on the schedule on the website and keep in contact with your players and your, your coaches, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just one surprise after the other. But at the end of the day, all I care about is seeing these kids getting the chance to play the game they love, getting to have the media cover these games and bring them to the fans that otherwise might not have been able to see them. Yeah, and uh, speaking of which, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say um, former Zavarian star Matty Ryan, who was once a MHL Cup winner, uh, has been on the um, My Hockey Live program several times here, a 100-point scorer at Zavarian, uh, has committed to Stonehill after a year doing some prep work. Uh, so congratulations to him. Uh, Brendan Connolly, always a pleasure. Uh, Boston Herald, WATD, MHL. Check out his work and follow him on Twitter. At BCon63. Brendan, always a pleasure. Thanks again, Brandon. I'll talk to you soon. Okay.